This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lions fans, it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions podcast. Welcome to the Daily TLP. I'm your host, Ash Thompson, and today I'm going to talk a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys offense. The Dallas Cowboys offense is the brainchild of Mike McCarthy, and Lions fans over a certain age should remember Mike McCarthy. He's probably the most famous person to suit up for Scottsdale Community College, go fighting artichokes. Yeah, that is a real thing that appears to exist. Ah, uh, go SCC Athletics. Ah, uh, good luck to the ladies basketball team Saturday against the GCU club. He transferred to the NAIA level at Baker University and was a two-time all-conference tight end as well as a team captain. He got a graduate assistant gig at Fort Hayes State University while getting his Master of Science in Sports Administration. McCarthy went home to Pittsburgh and basically, by being available and bullheaded enough to get in contact with the team, uh, he got a graduate assistant role at Pitt when another coach quit. He studied playbooks while he was working as a toll collector on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. He worked under Paul Hackett at Pitt and moved with Hackett to the Chiefs under Marty Schottenheimer in 1993. So long ago. Uh, <laughs> he apparently worked alongside Joe Montana closely during the 93 and 94 seasons. And in 1995, he became the Chiefs quarterback coach from 95 to 98. And during that period, the Chiefs threw the fewest interceptions in the AFC. And uh, as a side note, here's how much football has changed since that point when you're looking at stats for defensive backs and stuff like that as to who gets in the Hall of Fame and who doesn't. It's very different. They threw 52 interceptions in four years, and that was the lowest in the league. This guy's looking to get fired for throwing that many now. Uh <laughs> Like, just to use Aaron Rodgers as an example, in the four years prior to this season, he threw 28. But McCarthy managed that feat with quarterbacks named Elvis Gerbach, Steve Bono, and Rich Gannon, which, like Rich Gannon, turned out to later be a reasonably decent quarterback, but at that point, he was terrible. McCarthy left the Chiefs when Schottenheimer did, and he then joined the Packers as their quarterback coach from 98 and 99. Uh, the Packers had top 10 offenses in both years. Uh, then he was poached by the Saints as their offensive coordinator. He was there for five years. And four of those years are still in the team's top 10 offensive seasons of all time. He followed that up with a stint as the 49ers offensive coordinator in the Mike Nolan era. And was the first of 300 offensive coordinators to spend less than two seasons with Alex Smith. <laughs> uh yeah, he got Alex Smith's rookie year, and that didn't go well. Everybody got canned. Uh, but he interviewed with the Packers 
for their head coaching job after that offseason, despite having the 30th ranked offense in San Francisco, and McCarthy got the gig. Somehow, with a terribly, very Patricia-esque story up to that point kind of deal. Uh, <laughs> well, other than that, he bounced around. It's really nothing like Patricia, other than that his team wasn't good, and he still got a head coaching job on his side of the ball. Uh, which, like, sounds bad, but McCarthy's first 25 games as a head coach, he was 16-9. and nine. So that went fairly well. The Packers had gone 4-12 the year before that. And he lasted 13 seasons as the Packers head coach. Won a Super Bowl. Grew a colossal ego. Grew the colossal ego of Aaron Rodgers right alongside him to the point that the two could not exist in the same place. But McCarthy's record as their head coach was 125-77-2. and And with a 10-8 record in the playoffs. He led the team to nine playoff appearances and a Super Bowl victory, but was fired in 2018. Much has been made of his 2019 hiatus. Uh, for the season, Cleveland offered him their head coaching job, but said he would have to retain Freddie Kitchens as the, as the offensive coordinator, which he and every other candidate who interviewed refused to do. Uh, so the Browns being the Browns just decided to hire Kitchens instead as their head coach. Went 6-10, and ten, one and done. Now he's the North Carolina tight ends coach. Uh, the Jets decided to hire Adam Gase instead of McCarthy, which I think we can all look at as a horrifying, colossal mistake that year, given where the Jets are. And then Adam Gase, I don't think, is even in the league anymore, but I'm not going to bother to Google it. Uh, so what McCarthy did that season is he gathered a think tank of out-of-work coaches, uh, like current XFL Seattle Dragons head coach Jim Hazlitt. Or Pitt Panthers offensive coordinator Frank Signetti Jr. And Cowboys linebackers coach Scott McCurley. But anyway, he grabbed a bunch of coaches who didn't have gigs. And they all got together, kind of combed through NFL playbooks, studied league trends, analytics, retooled for another shot at the NFL. Uh, apparently, he had a 12-hour interview with Jerry Jones to replace Jason Garrett in 2020. And he did get the gig. But he was forced to retain. <laughs> The offensive coordinator, spectacular mind that is the current brain trust of the about-to-be-completely-canned coaching staff in San Diego. Sorry, I almost said San Diego with Los Angeles Chargers. And kind of during the period where he was with Moore, it kind of looked like McCarthy hadn't really learned very much. Um, he seemed like just kind of an old-school coach stuck in old ways with the way he spoke about the Cowboys offense. And he was fined in 2021 for violating practice rules during OTAs. Basically, he, everybody breaks the rules during OTAs, but he did it in a way that angered his players enough that they complained to the union. It's not a good look. But that same season, the Cowboys, after two years, with the darling offensive coordinator of the league that was supposed to be revitalizing everything, uh, but like, did not do a good job in Dallas, like, they parted ways after two seasons. And in 2023, uh, it's my opinion, Dak Prescott probably should be the MVP of the league. I don't think there's a really good counter-argument, and I'll go into that a bit later. Actually, I'll go into it right now. <laughs> Why not just go there? Uh, in terms of touchdowns and total turnover production, uh, last week I listed all of the QBs that were in the top three seeds of the conferences, and the guy with by far the best numbers in that group was Dak Prescott. 
And that comes on the heels of an offseason where opponents were ripping the Cowboys, expecting a run first in the Schottenheimer-esque scheme, basically. Because McCarthy said he wanted to run the ball better than they had under Moore. Well, Dallas are sixth in yards per game total, sixth in passing, and twelfth in rushing. They're third in points per game behind the Dolphins and 49ers, and they're just one spot ahead of the Lions. So we all got played because I also thought McCarthy was coming in and basically just gonna play some old school football, but that's really not what's happening here. Like the first thing people do need to come to terms with about this Dallas offense is Dak Prescott's level of play currently, because he got dogged a lot recently and, and put at a low level of quarterbacking that I don't think he ever really deserved to be as far as the perception of other people goes. Like that touchdown to turnover production is unmatched in the NFL. If you, even if you include like running, uh, if you don't, <laughs> the, the gap is giant between Dak and the rest of the NFL in terms of good plays versus bad plays. Like his, his touchdown to interception ratio is 30 TD passes to seven interceptions. So it's better than four to one, which is crazy. Well, he leads the league in passing touchdowns. Everyone with more passing yardage has at least three more interceptions. His adjusted yards per attempt are more than a half yard higher than his unadjusted. And the two players that get tossed around as MVP candidates more than Dak are Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson. I don't think that's a valid thing, to be perfectly blunt. Like, I think they're number two and number three in no particular order. <laughs> I'm not saying that either of them haven't had great years. But Purdy has 100 fewer pass attempts and four more interceptions. And he also has Christian McCaffrey carrying more of the load than any player on the Cowboys offense possibly ever could. Lamar's total touchdown production, even if you include the rushing, still falls six, six short of Dax. Um, and while Lamar only has the same number of interceptions as Dak, he's thrown 50 fewer passes. And he's fumbled 11 times compared to Dak's three. So you take all of that stuff into consideration. Frankly, I think Dak is the MVP of the league so far this year. Just my opinion. Uh, but anyway, how do you beat Dak Prescott? Uh, you hit him. You hit him hard, and you hit him early, and you hit him often. And that's the case with all quarterbacks, really. Wow. <laughs> Nobody reacts super well to actual pressure. Um, that, in my opinion, means you need to elevate Bruce Irvin this week. That's absolutely vital to the Lions doing particularly well in this game. The hole in the Cowboys offense is their offensive tackle play. Like the Lions need a counterpoint to Aiden Hutchinson that prevents Dak from just moving around a single point of pressure and carving up the Lions back seven. Because if they don't get pressure from anyone but Hutchinson, that is exactly what is going to happen this week. And at best, this is a shootout. At worst, it's a blowout. If they have to blitz to get pressure, then they have to blitz to get pressure. But not getting pressure is how the Lions lose this game. The Cowboys defense is not built to handle being behind, but I'll get to that tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so early stops based on relentless pressure on the quarterback is the first key to the Lions victory. Irvin's the only edge the Lions have that can provide that across from Hutch. Like, Julian Okwara should also be quite active in this game because he kind of provides the same type of player, maybe at a lower level. 
would allow the Alliance to do the same things while giving Irvin a rest, as opposed to just not having pressure while Irvin's not playing. Um, this would have been a multi-sack game for James Houston, in my opinion. So that's the biggest thing. The Lions need to get that. They need to hit Dak Prescott a lot and hard, preferably without blitzing. Because the Cowboys receivers are all dangerous. Like, CeeDee Lamb is obviously the most dangerous. Any down without over-the-top help on him is a mistake. <laughs> uh, he plays most of his snaps in the slot. But you can't just assume that a rookie, even if it is Brian Branch, is going to be able to handle a guy who already has almost 1,500 yards on the year uh, with a couple games left. But then Brandon Cooks is also not really a slouch, particularly if he gets a free release and he can get to speed. Uh, he's not making contested catches, but he'll get deep in a hurry and make your broken coverage look really, really broken. Preventing that is the reason you need to pressure Prescott so badly. Which means, again, dressing Bruce Irvin, rotating in Julian Okwara to keep the defense options consistent, particularly on third and longs. So how do we create third and longs against Dallas Cowboys? Uh, I thought about putting this first because it sets up the first part of this, but it's a thing you need to do. Getting back to third and long is important. And you probably think I'm about to say that you need to stop the run, don't you? Well, suckers, that's not the message today. The Cowboys rushing attack just isn't good. But what they've been great at is throwing the ball on first down. More of Dak's passing attempts have come on first down than any other down. The Cowboys have run the ball 214 times on first down for 915 yards, but they've thrown the ball 217 sorry, 207 times for 1,417 yards. It's the down where the Cowboys have their lowest yards per attempt, but their highest completion percentage. They've also taken almost as many sacks on first down as third down. Well, both the percentage is much higher on third down. There's just fewer attempts. So unlike so many other games this season, the Lions need to play pass first on first down. And that's not something Aaron Glenn typically likes to do. But if the Lions sell out to stop the run on early downs, they, like the Cowboys off their offense isn't dangerous running the ball. That would be a terrible tactical mistake. Like Tony Pollard is a four-yard per carry back. So is Rico Dowdle. But that's all they are. Like, they're legit NFL players, but they're not the ones driving this offense. And the Lions D can stop this rushing attack without overloading the line of scrimmage to do it. They need to stay in light boxes and defend the Cowboys passing attack on first down. So, if Yachty Melifon, Jalen Reeves, Mabin, Brian Branch, CJ Garner-Johnson, if he plays, those are, those are the key players in this game. The more of those players the Lions can deploy on first down and still stop the run, the better this game is going to go for them. Like Jack Campbell covers the field with his mind, and as a rookie, at times, that has not worked out so well. Alex Anzalone has also been biting on fakes super hard. So hard that it's making defensive backs have to cover for him and abandon zone coverages, uh, which just creates a giant hole on the back end and leads to big plays for an offense. Which, that's one of the reasons that we've been seeing those from teams. But you know who's been making play after endless play when he's on the field in coverage? Jalen Reeves Mabin. I'm not saying the Lions need to play Jeremy more than the other two linebackers that I just talked about, but he does need to see more snaps than, say, Derek Barnes or Rodrigo this week, in my humble opinion. And uh, that's about it. Uh, to stop the Cowboys from successfully passing on first down, 
with light boxes is the first key that sets up like obviously if they're in a 13 personnel look that's one back and three tight ends you're not going to be running six defensive backs onto the field if you want to win but if you can stop their 12 personnel with your nickel defense you're going to win this game if you have to pull a defensive back germ is your guy and they need to get Bruce Irvin or Geraldine Okwara snaps across from Hutch in passing situations. And I don't need to be dismissive of the lines of the edges, but there's an opening for speed brush speed rushers in this game. Give me NASCAR looks as often as possible. Both of those guys on the edge, one third and ten plus with Hutch and Commission side, isn't something I would be against seeing. Where Josh Pascal slants and twists all day, gentlemen. And that's the offense. I'll fire off the defense tomorrow. See you then. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Yes. You've had enough of that shit.